Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who built this garage with sticks and stones and elevator bones and rock and roll. He is the captain. Yeah, nothing's going to stop us now. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week we are featuring Paradise Lost by Southern Prohibition Brewing in Mississippi, garage grade four out of five bottle caps. This has got to be SPB's hoppiest beer. This is a deep golden IPA with oats and heavy-handed double dry hop, plus full flavors of peach, mango, and pineapple. And this week's fridge, it's full thanks to the following. First up, Thanks to Sarah in Nappian, Ontario, Canada. And a big cheers, mates, to Don in Shannon, Mississippi. And also a shout-out to Karen in Oshawa, Ontario. And in Jacksonville, Florida, we have Kelly and Charles. And here's a big cheers to Danielle in Schenectady, New York. And last but certainly not least, we have Santa. Mm, Santa Claus. No. And last but certainly not least, we have Sana and Joe in Everett, Washington. Thanks to everybody for going to TrueCrimeGarage.com and helping out with this week's beer fund. And go to our store page immediately, TrueCrimeGarage.com. Click on the store page. We have new True Crime, we're calling them True Crime Garage Plumbing Company shirts. And it features one of the captain's favorite famous phrases. Starts with a user ends with a it and it's not use a plumber (laughs) right check out the store page at truecrimegarage.com that's enough of the business everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime Horn Lake, Mississippi, June 2017. It's a hot morning in early summer in a town of about 26,000, located just about five minutes from the Mississippi border and fewer than 15 miles south of Memphis. A U.S. Postal Service mail carrier is delivering the mail on Angel Drive. She nears a black metal mailbox mounted on a sturdy wooden post. But as she was about to reach in to drop the mail, the mail carrier draws back in horror. Sitting on the ground below the mailbox, tied to the post, 
with what appears to be shoestrings is a woman. She is clearly dead. Her head is tilted upwards at an angle. Her mouth is open. Authorities are alerted and told that they would find a young woman tied by the neck and jaw to a rural mailbox post. How long had she been there? How many cars passed by the mailbox and never noticed a sight that none of us would forget? If it weren't for all the tall weeds up by the road and surrounding the mailbox, someone would have spotted her hours before. Who could have done this? How did this happen? And why? This week, we discuss the case of Jessica Renee Johnson. Jessica Johnson was 37 years old when her body was discovered on June 2nd, 2017. Jessica was a brunette and she was five foot three inches tall, 115 pounds with greenish hazel eyes. Even though Jessica was in her mid thirties, she lived at home in Horn Lake with her parents, Linda and David Johnson. This was largely because Jessica was a single mom with two children a daughter who was just eight years old when Jessica died, and a son who was 19. Until a few months before her death, Jessica worked at a logistics service in Memphis, but lately she was unemployed. Her parents helped out with child care. Her son lived with Jessica's grandparents, whose home was just yards away. When we talk about who Jessica was as a person, there's a lot to talk about, but one thing that is very often said is that Jessica was very pretty. Yeah, and you often see this in cases where they talk about the victim's looks or whatever, but in this case, it's it's like a 100% consensus. Yeah, she's described by all as exceptionally beautiful. According to her family and friends, she knew it and she worked it. She was always dressed up and really pretty, and she knew it, said her sister Kayla. Her friend Summer said Jessica loved to, quote, glam herself up and wear pretty clothes and go out. Yeah, just like the colonel. <laughs> in, in fact, she would not generally go out without being done up, according to friends and family. Now, Jessica tended to change her Facebook profile picture constantly, updating it with a new filtered selfie or lighted headshot. Her public posts were largely peppy inspiring quotes from glamorous women like Coco Chanel or Audrey Hepburn. Jessica was very social and had lots of friends. Her page shows that she was, quote, Facebook friends with over 1,900 people. She loved to go to clubs and hang out with friends, and friends describe her as the life of the party. Unfortunately, in the few years before her death, Jessica's parents say that Jessica started to fall in with the wrong crowd. While she was a good mom, as long as she was in a good place, she had her problems, her father David said. Right, but you often see this with people that stay in the town that they went to high school in, mm -hmm. where they start going out and partying. And yeah, it's like mid-20s, great. Late-20s, not so bad. Get into your 30s. And now the only people that are showing up to these bars are are people in their 20s. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? It's like, you know, it's fun for a while, but those scenes always have some shady characters. As far as I can tell, this all seems to have started about five years earlier when Jessica began dating Leslie Taylor. Mm -hmm. uh, this guy was bad news and used Jessica's car as his drug dealing hub. Finally, he was busted. Jessica's car was confiscated and the drug dealing boyfriend went to prison, but the damage was done. And around this time, Jessica started being involved in the drug scene. In fact, we know that Jessica was arrested on October 10th, 2013 by Horn Lake PD. The charges listed in the arrest record are one felony possession of a controlled substance and a possession of paraphernalia. Did she uh, post her mugshot as her Facebook profile? I, I don't know. I don't think so. 
the charges ended up being dropped. Jessica was caught with some male friends from high school in possession of a bag of meth, but the cops could never prove who it belonged to. So it seems that Jessica liked to party, and some of that involved drugs. She would have had periods where she had her act together and other times where she wasn't as reliable and was using illicit substances that had a negative effect on her life. Right. Even worse, she was participating in drug deals, working as a middleman between her friends and the dealers, going on drug runs and scoring some for herself to use, as well as making a little cash. Right. At the time of her death, quote, I was disappointed in her in the choices she was making and what she was doing, said her father, David. David and Linda did not agree with their daughter's choices of late, but they did all they could do to support her and help her when she needed it. Well, I'm sure they loved her and I'm sure they loved their grandkids and that's why they allowed her to live there. But that also allows her to go out because she constantly has like a live-in babysitter. Well, let's get to the time frame in question. This is May 31st to June 2nd. So starting on the afternoon of Wednesday, May 31st, 2017, Jessica left her parents' home with her on-again, off-again boyfriend. His name is Garland Hart. Jessica told her mom the two were going shopping at a thrift store to get Garland some clothes. We know that on that Wednesday night, the two went to a club called Canvas, where there was some something of a drug scene going on. On Thursday, the 1st of June, Jessica FaceTimed with her daughter. Linda, Jessica's mother, participated in the call as well. Jessica was calling from the front yard of a house she was at. In this call, Jessica said she was coming home, but she didn't. At 3.29 a.m. on the morning of June 2nd, so this is now late Thursday night turned into early Friday morning, Jessica's teenage son received a text to his phone from Jessica's phone. It said that Jessica would be spending the day with G and that G and I will see you later this afternoon. According to Linda, the G refers to Garland. Yeah. Which if you look up this Garland heart guy, uh, he looks like he smells like garlic farts. I get a kind of a shady vibe just from his picture. Around 11 a.m. on the morning of Friday, June 2nd, a U.S. postal worker was making her rounds in Horn Lake. She approached the postbounded mailbox at number 7520 Angel Drive. The mailbox was one of those cheap black metal ones you can get at any hardware store with the stick-on numbers. And it was mounted on an unfinished grayish 38-inch wooden post that was sunk into the ground. Do we know if the mailbox post was encased with concrete or not? Uh, I I don't know that it that it did, but from witness accounts, it was sunk into the ground, but it still wiggled a little if you were to pull on it. Right. This mailbox belonged to a house that was set back a few hundred yards from the road. This is down a dirt or gravel driveway. The box itself was partially enveloped in weeds and tall grasses that had grown up around it. This wasn't a home that someone was carefully landscaping. Right. When the mail carrier neared the box to her horror, she saw someone sitting at the base of the post, but this was not someone sitting there taking a break or waiting for a ride. What she saw was the death stricken face of a young woman, her head and neck tied to the mailbox post. And when we say sitting there, she wasn't sitting on her on her butt. She was on her legs. It's like a squatting position. Yeah. The mail carrier panicked and backed away from the mailbox. She parked her truck and called a colleague who was delivering mail nearby, saying she didn't know what to do. Uh, before the Horn Lake PD arrived on the scene, this second mail carrier arrived and snapped a photo of the grizzly scene, which is the photo that uh, all we have to go off of here regarding the the, the scene itself. We're going to talk a lot about this photo, so it might be something that you want to Google image. Mm -hmm. We are not going to post this on our social media page or on our website. 
No, wow. but but it's easily found, right? If you Google the victim's name, Jessica Johnson. Yeah, because I don't want anybody to go to our website looking to buy a T-shirt or something to see, and see this and be disturbed. So it's not a it's not a pretty sight. It's it's uh, look at it at your own risk. Yeah, it's tough to. It's one of those things you can't unsee it. And, well, here's what the the photo depicts. Jessica Johnson is sitting at the base of the mailbox post away from the street side on her knees, her feet tucked under her mm-hmm. and out of view. She is sitting in three foot tall weeds, crushing them down beneath her. She is wearing jeans and a gray camo t-shirt. A gray leather purse is propped between her knees. It is open and a pink phone charging cord is visible. Jessica's right arm is dangling down between her legs, and it appears her right hand is touching or even holding a black leather pouch that that may be a wallet. A small black cord from this wallet-like item seems to be draped over her right thumb. Jessica's other arm, her left arm, is tucked behind the mailbox post with her left shoulder leaning on the post. The left side of Jessica's face, basically her cheekbone, is against the corner of the mailbox post. And horrifyingly, around her neck and tangled in her hair is a cord or string that later would turn out to be two white shoelaces tied together. Jessica's head is facing upwards at an angle. The shoelace winds around her neck once, disappears into her hair, and then another part of the shoelace is visible coming out of her hair at her jawline and stretching tightly across her face, running up between her nose and mouth so that it pulls her upper lip aside. Her upper teeth and gums are visible. The shoelace stretches up from her face around the post and is embedded in the crack where the parts of the wooden post are joined. The scene is horrible, and the photo that we we have from the mail carrier, although partially blurred out is equally horrible and it raises so many questions how did jessica end up tied to a mailbox post on a quiet street in horn lake who did this to her how long has she been there and in whose house was it the horn lake pd was dispatched to the scene at 11 29 a.m after the second mail carrier called the police upon observing the cord around jessica's neck the cops and the DeSoto County coroner arrived. According to Jessica's family and friends, they initiated a complete sham of an investigation. According to Linda Johnson, police made up their mind about this case before they even looked at the evidence. The police report, which was filed on June 3rd, states right up front, quote, no crime, says that the scene involved a young white woman hanging from a mailbox and she was already stiff. The report notes that Jessica's purse was located between her knees like it had been sat there, and Jessica's hand was resting on it. Officers collected Jessica's driver's license from the mail carrier, who had already rifled through Jessica's bag and pulled it out, compromising any evidence, compromising the scene. Linda tells us that police cornered off the property but neglected to protect the mailbox area. Another retired Memphis police officer who worked with the family on this case has said that photos from the scene show police cars parked too close to the body, potentially destroying evidence. Well, like you said, this is a very small town, so you would assume that there's not too many crimes like this happening or scenes like this happening. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a very unusual scene, and I... I, Forget about small town. This is an unusual scene for you and I who've already looked at over 100 cases since right. we've been doing this garage thing here. Yeah, it's one thing for somebody to commit suicide maybe in their house. But the fact that they're trying to say that there's no crime and that they believe that she committed suicide by hanging herself from somebody else's mailbox. Mm-hmm. Very strange. Well, and continuing down the road of evidence or lack thereof or failing to collect certain pieces of evidence because that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg what we're getting at one major thing and i think this is a huge thing here 
Jessica's phone was found inside her purse that had been propped between her knees, but the phone was locked and nobody knew the code. Linda, her mother, says that the code had been changed and she believes that whoever killed her daughter, if someone did kill her daughter, had changed the code, possibly after sending the 3.29 a.m. text to her son. Jessica's fingerprint would have unlocked the phone, but the police department declined to use this method. To this very day, the family, Jessica's family, does not have access to the contents of her phone. That is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That is that is beyond irresponsible. Yes. And, because and- cause they can get phone records, obviously, if they lived with her, there it's a possibility that they even paid for the phone records or if they're going to pay the remaining bill, they might be able to get a phone log as far as, um, you know, who she called. But who calls people now? You have to be a complete psychopath to pick up the phone and actually t- call somebody. Everybody texts now. You called me last Thursday. I call you, <laughs> I call you every Thursday because I'm a complete psychopath. But... This text message, this is the stuff that's the most important. Now, I'd also wonder if if it was an iPhone or something like that, was it hooked up to another device? And, you know, like all my text messages go to my computer. So if something happened and you, and you found me uh, dead and you couldn't get into my phone, well, you can get into my computers and see my text messages through that way. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if the family has looked into those angles. But like you said, there's... No information that they have from that that cell phone. Well, and the, the short answer is they have. They've they've attempted to figure out what could be on this phone using every avenue they could think of, uh, even with the help of a retired uh, law enforcement member. Right. Uh, the other thing too is it was determined, as we said earlier, that the cord. Well, that, but hold on a second. Go I ahead. just want to throw this out because. I'm assuming that they're the ones that were responsible for the funeral. And if they were, did they have the context? Did they have the phone at that point where they could have used her fingerprint to get into the phone during that time? I believe this is on. I don't have that answer. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. My guess is I do know some of the items that were found with Jessica were returned to the family. But we don't know when. But, right. I don't think that was right away. Right. You know, um, this would these things would have been collected. And after this scene, if they would have, if they had properly secured the scene, cataloged everything, once that was done, at some point, they could have used her finger to open up that, that phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that and, sounds so morbid. And I understand that, you know, there are other ways of getting that information if you're law enforcement, but that would have gave it to you right away. You know, right. we, we, we hear so many times about the first 48 hours of an investigation. We know that current day. Well, that's when there is an investigation. Right. But when somebody's showing up and going, <laughs> no crime here, mm-hmm. nothing to see. Well, and and when we talk about the first 48 hours, we know that in current day investigation, the first thing that they're looking for on, on somebody is a phone. Yeah. You know, where, where's that phone? Who were they communicating with? What was said? What was supposed to be going on before this happened? This crime happened. And that's going to get more and more important as we turn more and more into zombies, just staring at our phones all day. But back to the cord that was determined to be two white shoelaces tied together. The immediate question is, did these laces come from Jessica's shoes? Uh, Would there have been any touch DNA on them? You know, if someone had tied her up or used that to strangle her, you'd think there might be some touch DNA. The problem with the DNA on the, the shoelaces is we don't know if there was any DNA on them because at some point, the shoelaces have disappeared. They- oh, right, right, because there's no, no need to investigate because if you show up to a scene and it looks like a suicide and you have these shoelaces, test the shoelaces. If it comes back that it's just her DNA on the shoelaces and nobody else's, well, look, then we go, hey, it looks like a suicide. 
There's evidence that it's just a suicide. But if it comes back with multiple forms of DNA and multiple people of DNA, not meaning that they actually tied it, but that gives us probable cause to say, hey, there was a crime here, and now we need to investigate it. Well, it at least gives you somebody else to talk to. And, you know, the the shoelaces, they were in the possession of the police department at some point, but but they've, they vanished. Now, the same thing goes for the clothes that Jessica was wearing that day. It's believed that they were burned by the funeral director who handled Jessica's body. Well, we'll get more into the inadequate investigation. Was that a common thing for them to do? Whatever clothes are going to be put in, if they know that they're not going to uh, be buried in those clothes, that they burn the clothes that they came in? Yeah, I would think that that's fairly common, yes. Okay. Uh, some more evidence came to light that makes this whole situation even more confusing. When Jessica's family went to view her body in the funeral home, they were horrified to observe Jessica's left arm. Remember, this is the arm that was hidden from view in the picture that we have. The one that was sort of smushed behind the mailbox post. Right. This arm is in rough shape, to put it plain and simple. For one thing, there's a visible indentation or print of some kind running across Jessica's forearm that looks to have been made possibly after death. There are dark bruises on her wrist. Some people believe that there is indication that she may have been bound at some point or at least restrained. Right. And there are mysterious scabby holes peppering her lower arm all over the back of her hand. They look almost like she was burned or spattered with acid. There is blood visible in her fingernail beds, particularly her pinky nail. The photo of the arm taken by family members is visible online, released by the family, because they believe it shows that something very bad happened to Jessica. Yeah, but I think the whole jumping to the conclusion that her hand was burned with acid. I mean, her hand could have been burned by grilling something or cooking other things, but this idea that it was just burnt with acid. Well, that's not an idea. That's just me describing what it looks like. Okay. No, nobody has suggested what these unusual marks have come from. Um, that's just my easiest way to describe it to people who have not seen this photo. Despite all these strange circumstances and the bizarre unexplained injuries to the body, an autopsy on Jessica Johnson was never conducted. In fact, the DeSoto County Coroner's Office issued its report on July 12, 2017, stating that the cause of death was asphyxiation by ligature hanging and the manner of death was suicide. DeSoto County Coroner Jeff Pounders said that Jessica's was one of the strangest cases he had seen and he had been a coroner for 35 years. But based on evidence and the toxicology results, he gave the official explanation of death by asphyxiation. When Jessica was found around 11 a.m. on June 2nd, rigor mortis had set in and it appeared she had been there since the early morning hours, Ponders said. He acknowledged, quote, I don't know how many people drove by the mailbox and not seen her. The weeds were so tall. A toxicology test was done and according to the death report revealed meth and Xanax intoxication. Despite this, coroner pounders told the media that Jessica had not OD'd. Horn Lake police have investigated this death in great detail, said Pounders. Quote, I've talked to the crime lab and she died from asphyxiation. Horn Lake police have not been able to find anything other than she hanged herself. End quote. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. 
or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 
to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain. Let's get back to the case that they didn't want to investigate. Well, Johnson's family, uh, the Johnson family and Jessica's friends were shocked at this determination. According to Jessica's family, the Horn Lake PD basically looked the other way when it came to investigating this case. They were familiar with Jessica's past and the people she associated with and chalked her death up to just another junkie dying. In fairness, they did do the toxicology report, so they did investigate that part. But I think it led them to a conclusion of a lot. Look, a lot of these small towns are dealing with a lot of deaths by drug addicts. Mm -hmm. And so, and record numbers. Particularly uh, heroin. Right. And so you do the toxicology report, and this is happening all over the country, and you go, okay, but we have a piece of evidence, like I said, with the shoelace that you could have just tested and that would have got us further down one of the rabbit holes, suicide or foul play. Well, Lee Ann Marino, this was Jessica's good friend. She became a spokesperson for the family. She told the website heavy that Horn Lake PD were quote, grossly negligent and clearly had no intention of investigating Jessica's death as a possible crime. Once they got wind of who was dead, they believe coroner pounders declared it was a suicide. The cops were relieved of further work and the case was closed. But Jessica's family and friends state flat out that she would never ever have committed suicide. For one thing, she was a good mom and lived for her kids. She never would have left them alone. She told her mom via Facebook that she was coming home and texted her son that she would see him the next day. None of this added up to someone who would kill herself. But even more convincingly, Linda Johnson said that no way would her daughter kill herself this way, saying, quote, my daughter was too vain. Jessica's sister Kaylee said, there's no way she's going to have herself displayed out for the world to see her like that. She had no makeup on. That's not her. If she were going to kill herself, Linda said, Jessica would have glammed herself up and taken pills. She would have went to sleep. And believe me, Jessica would have had herself fixed up. She would have looked like sleeping beauty, Linda said. If I'm the head detective or I'm a part of this law enforcement team, I'm taking into account what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I'm going to believe it. Look, there's plenty of times where somebody takes their life and then somebody says, hey, they never would have done this. And all the evidence points that they did. So, but I'm not going to dismiss that. And so we have the toxicology report, but we got this weird hanging on the mailbox. Now you got the family coming forward saying, look, if she, if she was going to kill herself, we don't think it would be this way. Right. Right. And at some point they even cite a, uh, something that took place when, when friends and Jessica were watching a movie called 13 reasons why Mm -hmm. the group discussed that they would never inflict violence on themselves. They all agreed that if they were to take their own lives, pills would be the way to go. So the, the problem with this whole scenario to me is I agree. I agree with what you said. I I agree that you take those statements of she would have never killed herself. And if she would have, she wouldn't have done it this way. You take that, you take that into account and, and you have to play that and apply that to everything that you're seeing and the information that you're collecting. Right. Now, now what you could push back on the family too. Well, did you ever think that she was going to be taking drugs as, as hardcore as, methamphetamines well yeah but um, what what i was getting at is that i i understand that we have a whole bunch of people saying well she would have never have done this i don't know what state of mind we can say she would have been in regarding what we now know with the toxicology results right 
So we do have some more information about what happened or may have happened that day, although partially from sources who might have less than honest motives. The house that Jessica was found out, the uh, mailbox that she was tied to, was owned by a very good friend of her boyfriend, Garland's, named Jesse Isaacs. In fact, Garland had occasionally lived at this house, which was less than five miles from Jessica's home. And Jessica stayed with him for periods of time. Jessica was very familiar with the house and with the homeowner, Jesse. She seemed comfortable being there, although her friends, her girlfriends, say they were not. And this was a known party house. Jessica and Garland ended up over there, we believe, sometime Wednesday night, May 31st. Right. Jesse said that he had not seen Jessica and Garland together in some time until then, and also that Jessica seemed off. He said she was being even more dramatic than usual. At some point on Wednesday night or Thursday, June 1st, Garland and Jessica had a big fight. Jessica locked herself in the bathroom and called a friend to come and get her. This is backed up by Jessica's friend, Lee Ann Marino, who says that Jessica hid in the bathroom because she was afraid of Garland. But when this girlfriend arrived, Jessica was nowhere to be seen. And after waiting for 45 minutes, the friend then left. We know that sometime before 4.30 on Thursday, Jessica FaceTimed her daughter and mother from the yard. Also, a girl who served as Jessica's driver for her drug deals, as well as the girl's mom, showed up at the house and witnessed a big fight between Jessica and Garland, or the aftermath of a fight. Mm -hmm. This was around 4.30. Jessica was distraught and left the house. This is because she was supposed to pick up her friend Katie Jackson from work at 5 o'clock, but Jessica did not arrive there until 5.15. Katie says that when Jessica arrived at Katie's work, she was almost hysterical, saying that someone had told her that Garland was in the house in the back room with two women. Katie gave Jessica two Xanax and drove back to Angel Drive, back to that house. Wait, I'm a little confused. So the when she shows up to pick up her friend, she's telling her friend, well, I'm, I'm pissed off because Garland was in the back with two women. She's telling her friend that someone told her that at right. some point Garland was in the back room okay. with two women. So garlic fart is getting it on with two women in the back, or that's the rumor. Once back at the Angel Drive house, Katie told Jessica to stay in the car while she was going to go inside and collect Jessica's things. Katie went inside and confronted Garland, who was just emerging from the bedroom with two girls. Garland told her that Jessica was irrational and he couldn't handle her and Katie should take her home or take her elsewhere. Katie returned to the car and told Jessica that they were leaving. But then Jessica jumps out of the car and she's running around. She said she she had to talk to Garland. Katie later said that Jessica was not only running around, but behaving irrationally. Right. Katie left and never heard from Jessica after that. Now, no one knows what happened at this point. Garland's friend Jesse told the media that Jessica left the house around six The next time anyone that we know of saw her, she was dead. Yeah, this is confusing, though, too, because Jessica went to pick up her friend. Right. Then they drive back to this house that they're partying at. Right. This is the house that they also found her hanging from the mailbox. Mm Mm-hmm. Same house. Mm Mm-hmm. So Garland is in the back doing something with two women. That's the rumor. That's why she's pissed off. That's why there's a fight. But then at some point, her friend leaves. Well, how does her friend leave? Is there a car there for her friend to leave? Or does Jessica have to get in the car and drive her somewhere? Because she was her friend's ride. Right. So that's kind of confusing. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. That is interesting. Um, But of course, Jessica's acting a little strange because. We know from the toxicology report that she's on some kind of drug that night. And also her 
on again, off again boyfriend is rumored to be cheating on her. So yes, she's going to act a little emotional. Mm-hmm. Well, and regarding the vehicle, I don't have confirmation of this, but I believe that the vehicle in question that Katie left in may have been Katie's car. All right. So Katie and, goes and to work and says, Jessica, you can use borrow my, car. my car. That's Pick why she up. needs a ride from, from work. And also that makes more sense too, because if, if it wasn't your car and somebody was 15 minutes late picking you up, you wouldn't really care so much. But if they're borrowing your car, you're like, you should be back here right at five o'clock. Well, one thing about this house, though, it's equipped with a video camera, which does face the mailbox, but any footage that may have been taken by the camera has never been released, and we don't know whether, if it was ever even viewed by the police. Jesse, well, Why would it be viewed? There's no crime. Well, There's Jesse, no crime here. Jesse, the homeowner, was evasive as to the footage. He told True Crime Daily that he's never looked for the video, then that he didn't know the passcode, then that the camera may not have been on, or that it may have been recorded over already. So he's been asked directly by someone regarding this footage. Right, but this is, again, a huge misstep. If you know that there's a camera, again, you can assume all you want that this is a somebody committed suicide. Or that this is some kind of, you know, accidental uh, drug death that they're going to call suicide. But now you have somebody saying that there is a video camera recording the scene mm-hmm. of the suicide or foul play. And, and you're not going to take one or two steps to get that information so you can review it. I mean, how lazy are these people? Right. Right. Well, let's let's discuss the two major theories at work here. Right. Because law enforcement has determined that Jessica committed suicide and the family is convinced that she was murdered. So let's try to break down the evidence for each theory. First, could Jessica have committed suicide? Her family says there's no chance. Her friends say no. Jessica was full of fun and life, but we know from some of the celebrity suicides lately that family members are sometimes the last to know that their loved one was suffering. Right. And we can never really know who is likely to self-harm. Often it is those you would least expect. So I know as I'm saying this, some of you are thinking of someone out there. Statistically, drug addicts are more likely to kill themselves than non-drug addicts are. And there is some indication that Jessica was a tortured soul. Her Facebook page is full of quotes that are a little dark. Some examples she posted in the 18 months before her death are, quote, this shade of black really brings out the color of my soul. And, quote, we're not broken, just bent. On the other hand, Some of her quotes are more upbeat. Quote, positive mind, positive vibes, positive life. But it seems that those are in the minority and may have been her way of trying to lift her spirits. Someone who knew her commenting on an online forum after her death said that Jessica was so kind, talented, funny, but she was a very very sad person. She hit it well, but she had a troubled life. Of course she had a troubled life. For all indications, she's a meth user. Yeah. And so, and and I would venture to say very likely addicted to Xanax. Uh a meth user and addicted to Xanax right. would be my my guess here. And you have one kid that's living with your grandparents and then you have an 8-year-old and but he's 19, though. That's a little different. It's not like he's five. Well, my question would be, how long has he lived there? Because if he's lived there since he's five, then something's been going on. I don't get that vibe. I get the vibe that he, he probably he's an adult and that's he's choosing to live there. And if that's the case, that's fine. But again, my point being is here's somebody that was, you know, a beautiful person. Everybody says so. And she's seems to be full of life. She has one kid that she raises. Then she has another kid. 
and she has a lot to live for. But, you know, once you get addicted to these things, a lot of people can't shake that. And that even puts you more into a spiral of depression. So a lot of times family members would say the the Jessica I know wouldn't kill herself. Well, the Jessica you also really know and love, she wouldn't be using methamphetamines. Well, yeah. I mean, from the outside looking in, here's what you have. The most convincing argument for Jessica possibly committing suicide is it's a whole bunch of things that are going on in her life that, that we can see from the outside looking in. Right. She's a struggling, unemployed, single mother. She's an addict and with a meth habit, as right. we said. She has mood swings. We know this from the witness eyewitness reports regarding the timeline of those three days. And she's possibly in a an abusive relationship at this time. Well, and the other thing, too, about them saying she's too vain. Well, if she was really that vain, she wouldn't be using methamphetamines. Mm-hmm. We've seen the before and after pictures of that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't go so well. Well, and according to her friends and family, that in the recent years... Leading up to this, Jessica made some bad choices, especially when it came to her love life. Um, she started dating men that were less than desirable in her family, family's mind. Yeah, a, a note to all the women out there. Again, there are nice guys out there. It's possible to find one. Well, regarding this relationship, so this this is what we do know and what has been said. Jessica and Garland were dating on and off for over two years, and Linda Johnson describes the relationship as toxic. Jessica's friends say that Garland was emotionally and physically abusive, stringing her along and going back and forth between Jessica and other women. Garland was known to do heroin and deal heroin, but it's said that Jessica was unquestionably in love with Garland, but the dramatic swings of the relationship, these are obvious even to us looking at this because you have things like a Facebook post that say the heart gets confused when it's constantly told, I love you by the same person who destroys it. This was from April of 2017. Then there's a post December of 2016 that says, I don't hate you. I love you, but loving you is killing me. So this is goodbye. Even if I don't want it to be, which clearly that wasn't goodbye since we know in June of 2017, Jessica was still right. or, or again, you know, with Garland. Now Garland's friend, Jesse, the homeowner says that after Jessica left the house on June 1st, which keep in mind where we aren't even sure is factual, right? That Jessica sent him a text saying essentially that she didn't want to feel the pain anymore. Now, Jessica's friend, Summer Ledbetter, saw the text and says that to her, that it just meant that Jessica was frustrated and that she not, you know, not that she wanted to leave this world, but she didn't want to be with her boyfriend anymore. Right. And that's a possibility. The other possibility is, is it a text of, I don't want to feel the pain anymore of this relationship, or is it, I don't want to feel the pain anymore of being addicted to these drugs or is it a combination of all that? Well, so Jesse did give some more information that may point to suicide as being likely. Okay. If this information is to be believed, he did tell a local news station that quote, one of my roommates told me Jessica was out in the driveway and pulled the shoestrings out of her shoes and was threatening suicide. And he basically kind of just shrugged it off and told her, you know, get out of here with that. I don't want to hear it. And he shut the door on her. That's what he's saying. He was told by somebody else. Right. He says that this would have went down around 6 p.m. According to Jesse. Now, after this, he said he didn't see Jessica again until she was found 16 hours later dead at the mailbox. Well, again, he's pointing all these things towards suicide, but he had a piece of equipment in his house recording that mailbox. And we could have had those answers if Jesse would have turned those over. Well, he was not. That's the tricky thing, though. According to his answers, we don't know if anything was recorded on that. Right. You know what I mean? We, we don't know if it was working 
you know, he gives multiple answers. So only one of them can be correct. Now, but if Jesse is telling the truth about that statement, about what he said, a friend of his witnessed in the, his front yard, essentially. And we only have his word for this because we have no indication that the police backed this story up with any other witnesses. Right. But if, if he is telling the truth, then that means that Jessica pulled the laces out of her Converse sneakers and killed herself. Now, to do that, she would have had to carefully tie the laces together to make a large circle. The small knots are very close to the ends of the laces. So then she would have had to loop the knotted lace around her throat, twist it into a figure eight, and loop the other end over the top of the mailbox post and then lower herself down onto the ground. The mailbox is only 38 inches tall at its highest point. It is doable, but seems very strange. It's, and it seems like a very strange, specific plan for a distraught woman that is high on meth to see a mailbox and figure out how to hang herself from it rather than a tree. It's also a shoelace, so you'd question the strength of the shoestring itself. Could, is this even possible to kill myself using this? Right. You do have to question the, the, the strength of it. Now, it wouldn't be required to, to support her weight, just a portion of it. Right. So there is one major argument against suicide in this case, and that people believe that no woman would commit suicide in such a public place, in such a public way, by hanging herself from a roadside mailbox for the whole world to see. Generally, women commit suicide in a private setting by using pills and alcohol. Now, this is would be just what Jessica's mom said would be more likely for her to, if she chose to, commit suicide. Right. And even if Jessica were hysterical, high, and determined to kill herself, the property she was on had lots of trees on it with, with accessible branches. Yeah, well, you need a tree, but then you normally need rope. So maybe she didn't have access to the to rope. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, there is a very public trend right now of people killing themselves using low hanging, you know, tying themselves to doorknobs and, and things like that. So it's not completely out of the question. Mm -hmm. So if Jessica didn't kill herself, then someone else did. The Johnson family is convinced that Jessica was murdered and the Horn Lake authorities are not interested in finding out the truth. In fact, the police report filed on July 3rd states specifically and clearly, quote, the, the positioning of Jessica and the method used sparked some concern that maybe there was more to this incident and that detectives advised they would do a more thorough death investigation, but nothing came of this. And the family was permitted to view only three pages of the seven page police report. So a few months after Jessica's death, the family started working with Dr. Maurice Godwin, a forensics expert who has provided his consulting services in several high profile cases. Dr. Godwin analyzed the evidence in this case and came to the conclusion that Jessica was murdered and the death scene at the mailbox was staged. So let's look at the evidence that points to possible murder here, right? Jessica was found tied up with shoelaces. The shoe, the shoes that the laces apparently came from a pair of brownish gray Converse all-stars were found either inside or near the police report is unclear about this or near the house where Jessica was found hanging. We can only assume that they were hers. Although Linda says it was almost unheard of for Jessica to wear shoes of this type. So they may not have been Jessica's shoes. No one thinks it's very likely that Jessica would have pulled the laces out of the shoes in the driveway or inside the home and then walk barefoot all the way to the roadside to kill herself. Remember, we said the house and the mailbox are separated by a few hundred yards. Dr. Godwin suggests testing the laces for touch DNA, but as we know, unfortunately, the laces have been lost or they were destroyed, so therefore not testable. Yeah. Furthermore, Jessica's clothing that she was wearing that night also destroyed. 
burned. Any evidence on those clothes or potential evidence is lost forever. Linda Johnson does not recognize the clothes that Jessica is wearing in the death photo as belonging to Jessica. She says Jessica always wore spaghetti strap tank tops in summertime, not camo t-shirts. And in fact, Jessica was wearing such a tank top when she left Linda's house that Wednesday. The clothes Jessica was wearing when she was found by the mailbox, where did they come from? Who did they belong to? And where did Jessica's real clothes go? Dr. Godwin pointed to a tiny pin size stain or mark on the sole of one of the sneakers that he says should be tested for blood. But since the shoes were returned to the family, clearly this was not done by law enforcement. Well, the family making the statement before saying that she wanted to kill herself. Again, I, I don't put a ton of weight to something like that because we don't know what other people are struggling with, what the struggles are inside. And like you said, which is a, gr- a great point, is a lot of times the family is the last to know how bad a family member is struggling. But the fact that they don't recognize her clothes at all and she lives with them yeah, is, is something strange there. Now, it could be a simple explanation, but I don't know if we're going to get it from Jesse or Garland. Right. Right. And, and as you said earlier, the shoelaces being a weird thing to to be used in either a suicide or a murder for that matter. Right. And we both agree that it, that it's shoelaces are a strange thing to, to use here. Well, here, here's what I wonder though, is to me, a shoelace is more likely to be a murder weapon than it is a something that somebody used to commit suicide. But see, you know what? I go back and forth on that because I almost wonder like, I don't know. I, I just, I just feel like I question when and where did the shoelaces come out of the shoes is the whole thing for me. Right. It makes, it actually makes more sense to me that the person intending to use them for suicide might've removed them from their own shoes. That's just the way, the way that I lean. Um, some of the items that were found with her. So we have Jessica's purse that was found between her legs. The, the purse was open. And you can see that it contains a pink charging cord, a phone charging cord. Her black wallet is near her hand with a cord of some sort over her thumb. Yeah. Why would she kill herself with her hands on her belongings like this? It, it, just, it looks much more like someone placed those objects there afterwards. Now, one thing I want to make sure that we point out here, because this is very... Fishy. This is very suspicious. Linda, Jessica's mother, says that as part of the drug deal that Jessica did that day, Jessica would have had over $500 in her possession or should have had over $500 in her possession. Only $80 was found in Jessica's wallet. Right. And that's something that they should look into. But. We don't know her whereabouts. We don't have every detail of where she went. So was were there multiple drug deals that took place? Did she buy more drugs? Did she give the money to somebody else? There's a lot of details that were missing. Yes, she she. I I think the word should have that money. Um, we we don't know if she should have that money or not. Doctor Godwin noted when the family got. Jessica's purse back, the clasp on the side, the the piece of metal attaching the long purse strap to the bag right. was broken as if there was some type of struggle. You know, Maybe two people were pulling at the bag in some kind of fight. Maybe there was some kind of robbery is, is what I'm getting at with there. She may have had or should have had $500 in her possession. Well, that's what's so frustrating with all these little points of evidence that point to possibly it not being a suicide, it at least warrants an investigation, an investigation into what actually happened. And make sure you head over to our website, click on the store page, and order your True Crime Garage Plumbing Company shirt with the captain's famous quote, use a pizza 
Shit. All right, everybody, join us back here in the garage tomorrow. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore One Nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, Bad Dirt. What makes Bad Dirt so bad? The answer? The ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like Bad Dirt's murdering days are over, thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.